0: What a wonderful testimony that is, that indeed He will hold us fast. There is nothing that can separate us from His love. Well, this morning we return again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are going very carefully through this issue of spiritual gifts, and this is the third part in this series. There will be several more, I'm sure. We've been examining the Representative sampling of these marvelous and diverse spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul is delineating for us in verses 8 through 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. This is a very important study, primarily due to the doctrinal aberrations that are taught and practiced by the charismatic and Pentecostal movements that continue to bring chaos and confusion to churches around the globe with the allure of material wealth as well as physical healing they deceive millions with a false gospel of prosperity by representing I should say by misrepresenting and abusing spiritual gifts they exalt themselves and deceive the naive and the ignorant and by claiming direct revelations from God Apart from Scripture, they undermine the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. And then by promoting mysticism and emotionalism that leads to mindless ecstasy and counterfeit worship, they make a mockery of the person and work of the Holy Spirit whose primary purpose is to point people to Christ. So this is serious business, dear friends. As I mentioned the last time, I liken these deceptions to anthrax. They are both contagious and deadly. Unfortunately, they continue to infect undiscerning people all over the globe. Now, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, addresses these dangers in chapters 12 through 14 and other passages as well and other epistles. And you will recall that he was very concerned for the church at Corinth because they were proud, often without cause. They were worldly. They were acting like babies. They were fighting amongst each other. You remember some of the stories. And they were especially confused due to the mystery religions that they had been practicing that really predisposed them to all of the kinds of errors that we see in the charismatic movement today. So they brought with them all of the cultural baggage from uh, these mystery religions into the church, the the frenzied hyper-emotionalism of ecstasia, as we have studied, and the divination and revelatory dreams and visions uh, of enthusiasmos that they were used to, And so these are all of the same ingredients that bring about the chaos and the confusion in the charismatic and Pentecostal movements today. And of course, some of the people in the church were dissatisfied with the gifts that they had. They envied other people's gifts, and so they would try to do what others were doing, especially if they were showy gifts like the gift of tongues. And so they made up their own tongues, and on and on it goes. And of course, in the midst of all of this, you've got imposters, you've got false teachers that are beginning to see what's going on. And of course, wherever the Lord sows the grains of the of the gospel, the enemy comes along and sows the, the tares and amongst the wheat and so forth. And wherever God is at work, Satan will double his efforts to deceive and to destroy through clever counterfeits. And once those counterfeits are accepted as genuine, every believer and every institution that drinks that Kool-Aid will find themselves ultimately suffering spiritual defeat. Moreover, churches that embrace these counterfeits become a magnet to every narcissistic charlatan, every con artist, every immoral pervert. And we've seen this down through the years, and it is continuing to grow at alarming rates. So Paul addresses these issues in these chapters, and again, we return to verses 8 through 11. Let me read it so you get the flow, even though we're going to focus on one of these gifts primarily. He says, "...for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit." To another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, thus far, in the first two parts of our study of this passage of Scripture, we've examined, first of all, the word of wisdom that was characteristic of the apostles. Uh, this included direct revelation from God as well as uh, specific insights into the Old Testament Scriptures because they didn't have the New Testament. Special insights into understanding how the Old Testament now would and the Old Covenant would relate to the New. And then we studied the word of knowledge, which may have been revelatory at the beginning era of the church age, but it was primarily the ability to understand and apply the mysteries of divine revelation. That was given mainly to pastors and to teachers. And then the gift of faith, which was that divine enablement to trust God in the midst of of overwhelming situations that seem impossible. We studied the gifts of healing which was that divine enablement to restore the sick through immediate and thorough uh, a, a, a miracle where they come to immediate and permanent health even without unnecessary faith response. And this gift belonged exclusively to Christ and to the apostles and the 70 and a few of the associates of the apostles. And then we looked at the effecting of miracles that divine enablement to perform works of power that would literally overrule and suspend the normal processes of nature. And this of course was primarily with Christ, but the apostles and some of his associates or some of their associates could also do some of these things, although they never did anything with respect to nature. And since the purpose of these miraculous gifts is to authenticate both the message and the messenger of the gospel. We see that they disappeared after the apostolic age and the completion of the canon. And this is consistent with the overall testimony of Scripture. But today we want to come once again to this text and look primarily at the gift of prophecy. So if you're taking notes, you've got one point. And here it is. We're going to look at the gift of prophecy. Prophecy, Verse 10, we read, and to another prophecy. If we look at the Greek verb regarding prophecy, prophetuo, you see it means to speak forth or to proclaim. Although many of the prophets made predictions about things that would happen in the future, the bulk of their prophetic ministry was to simply preach and to expound and to exhort with revelation God had already recorded. In scripture. Now, to be sure, some prophets received new revelation and some even had the ability to perceive the thoughts and motives of other people. But scripture indicates that this aspect of the gift passed away with the apostolic age. But it's also quite possible that the non-revelatory aspect of the gift, the divine enablement to proclaim the scriptures, is a permanent edifying gift that still exists today. In fact, it overlaps with another spiritual gift that's not mentioned in Paul's list here in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it in Ephesians 4:11 that of the pastor or the shepherd teacher, the divine enablement to shepherd Christians by teaching and leading and providing and protecting, feeding, otherwise caring for them. Now, Paul provides a simple definition of the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. Let me read it to you. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So there it is in a nutshell. This divine enablement empowers Men, to proclaim the word of God and to point people to Jesus, to teach, to exhort, to console, and so forth. After all, is that not the role of the Holy Spirit? We know that it is. In John 15, 26, we read that his role is to testify of Jesus. And the Bible is the testimony of Jesus written by the Holy Spirit. We read in John 5 and verse 39 that the scriptures, Jesus says, testifies about me. So that's the role of the spirit. So the gift of prophecy is forthtelling, Existing revelation recorded in the canon of scripture. Not foretelling the future. And not preaching new revelation that God has supposedly given to a person. Paul mentions this gift again in Romans 12, 6. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he gives an example. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, the term proportion in the original language uh, refers to the, the degree or the right relationship to or the agreement with Uh, It says his faith, literally haupistos in the original language. It means the faith. It's referring to uh, the the gospel and especially in the New Testament here. Uh, And we see that as a synonym, faith being a synonym of the gospel. It refers to um, the, the revelation that God has already given. Now, unfortunately, Satan has infiltrated the church with false teachers who claim the gift of prophecy. Well, what they have dear friends is a counterfeit and i'm here to warn you about that this morning they make up stories and claim that god speaks to them they make prophecies that seldom comes true which proves that they are a false prophet according to deuteronomy 18 that we studied the last time we were together they claim god speaks to them privately and directly And all you have to do is just turn on the television and you will hear this over and over and over again. It's frightening. Televangelists are constantly talking about their private visions and conversations with God, wowing their audiences with with some new extra biblical revelation that God has communicated to them. And of course, what this does is it encourages others to act on their impulses as well to pursue a fresher, private revelation apart from the Word of God. And, of course, the more bizarre, the better, right? Rather than inspiring people towards a high view of Scripture, which, by the way, God exalts as high as His own name, Psalm One Thirty Eight Two. This encourages folks to seek divine revelation outside of Scripture, which, once again, undermines the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God. And they will readily admit this. Let me give you a little history. In the 1970s, the charismatic renewal movement picked up steam in popularity. And by the 1980s, we see that two professors from Fuller Theological Seminary, which was a mainstream evangelical school that jettisoned the doctrine of biblical inerrancy. These guys took up the cause of all these new revelations in the charismatic movement. And they began to serve what I call this counterfeit Kool-Aid to their students, intoxicating them with all of it. And that became what was called the third wave movement. So they began to teach all of this Pentecostal theology, and it began to poison churches that were dead. And suddenly they believed that the Spirit was at work in them because their worship services were marked with, with unbridled emotionalism, with ecstatic gibberish, with mis- mystical experiences, visions and dreams and, and new revelations. And one of the primary architects of this third wave movement was a man named Peter Wagner. Perhaps you've read him. And he also, by the way, claimed to be an apostle. He made this stunning statement in defense of the Holy Spirit now giving new revelation apart from Scripture and why we should consider this new revelation to be equal to biblical revelation. Here's what he said, quote, Some object to the notion that God communicates directly with us, supposing that everything that God wanted to reveal, he revealed in the Bible. This cannot be true, however, because there is nothing in the Bible that says it has 66 books, which is one of the most lame arguments. I think I could, I I don't know how you could come up with that, but... He goes on to say it actually took God a couple of hundred years to reveal to the church which writings should be included in the Bible and which should not. That is extra biblical revelation. Even so, Catholics and Protestants still disagree on the number. Beyond that, I believe that prayer is two way. We speak to God and expect him to speak with us. We can hear God's voice and he also reveals new things to prophets as we have seen. End quote. By the way, if you study this man and study what he has taught and others like him, you will see that he was the purveyor of many heretical positions contrary to the word of God. And folks, this is what happens when you abandon Bible doctrine and the authority and inspiration of Scripture and you reject it as being the sufficient, all-sufficient word of God. One charismatic author by the name of Jack Deere, very prominent in this movement, calls the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture demonic. He he says, In order to fulfill God's highest purpose for our lives, we must be able to hear his voice both in the written word and in the word freshly spoken from heaven. He went on to say, Satan understands the strategic importance of Christians hearing God's voice. So he has launched various attacks against us in this area. One of his most successful attacks has been to develop a doctrine that teaches God no longer speaks to us except through the written word. Ultimately, this doctrine is demonic, even though Christian theologians have been used to perfect it. Of course, this totally disregards Psalm 19, Psalm 119, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 1, and many other passages. But folks, these counterfeits are not found just in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches around the globe. We now see them growing at an alarming rate in evangelical circles. For example, in the Southern Baptist Convention lady by the name of Beth Moore, I know many of you have heard of her, a popular celebrity Southern Baptist preacher who many believe is being groomed to be the next president of the convention, falls into this category, perhaps unwittingly, because she denies the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture and has become a purveyor of counterfeits and false doctrine. We see this, for example, in her steady drift towards charismania, and preaching to men, which Scripture clearly forbids, First Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15, w- women who, who place themselves in authority over men, especially in the role of pastoral leadership, um, is always a sign of defection biblically. And that violates the role that God established in His creative order and His original creation. But beyond this, Many share the concern that I have that she is constantly spinning yarns about her conversations with God, her visions, direct revelation from God. And it's for this reason that that I have to warn you. One of the things God has called me to do is to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. I have to warn you. This is dangerous stuff. Now, while her doctrinal statement may be sound, and she may well be a sister in Christ, what we see is she is increasingly embracing charismatic mysticism and ecumenism and sharing the stage with known heretics like Joyce Meyer, for example. And as you read her material, as I have done, and as you listen to her teach, it's obvious to doctrinally discerning believers that she has a very, very shallow grasp of Scripture and very little understanding of, of Bible theology and of, of Orthodox New Testament doctrine. And for these reasons alone, she has no business teaching others and has not been called and gifted by God to do so. But it's also obvious that she is basically an entertainer, a comedian, and a performer. She's not a theologian, certainly not a Bible expositor. And any honest evaluation of what she teaches and, and, and her presentations will affirm this. But her fanciful claims to private revelation and visions are especially troublesome. And this relates to a misunderstanding of this gift of prophecy. Perhaps some of you have watched the video clip of her teaching a group of women. You can go online and see this, and it's quite a performance as many of her presentations are. But she tells the story of how God told her to go to an airport. And um, I I believe there was a guy in a wheelchair with real long hair and how God told her to go and brush this guy's hair. And she talks about how she argued with God. And it's all very funny. And it's really a comedy routine. But what she's saying ultimately is that she has now received a, a, an authoritative private message from God. And, of course, the women are loving it. They're just laughing it up. And, but, folks, there's nothing biblical about it. If you see it, it points to her, not to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to his word. One of the things she says after she's brushed the hair, the stewardess comes back after taking the man into the plane and says, who told you to do this? And she says, Jesus, he's the bossiest thing. And everybody laughs. That right there is enough to make me want to vomit. She went on to say, he knows what our need is. That man didn't need witnessing to. He needed his hair brushed. When we are filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ, you cannot believe the needs we can meet. We can do what we know we can't. End quote. And folks, she is packing auditoriums with this kind of frivolous drivel. It breaks my heart to see it just reminded of what paul told timothy in chapter 4 and verse 3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and they will turn away from the truth and they will turn aside unto myths but you he tells timothy you be sober in all things and endure hardship. What a contrast. By the way, folks, this is what happens when people are in churches where they do not hear the systematic, in-depth teaching, preaching, and application of the Word of God. They get bored. They get frustrated. They become undiscerning. They're banished to an island of spiritual infancy. They start looking for something new and something fresh. And here it is. So her audience can't wait to hear her next revelation. Christianity becomes all about hearing from God, all about feelings and impressions, rather than rightly dividing the word of truth. Many many other videos are equally troublesome. I give the transcription of one other. She says, I see God something huge I see God doing something huge in the body of Christ which, by the way, is a very common thing that most of these people will say, that God is showing me that he's doing something great. You don't see it, but I see it. She says, I don't know why I have had the privilege to get to travel around, see one church after another, one group of believers after another, interdenominationally, all over this country, but I have gotten to see something that I think is huge. And and I'll also suggest to you that I'm not the only one. And tonight, I'm going to do my absolute best to illustrate to you, catch it, something that God showed me out on that back porch of mine. He put a picture. I've explained to you before, I'm a very visual person. So he speaks to me very often of putting a picture in my head. And it was as if I was raised up looking down on a community as I saw the church in that particular dimension. Certainly not all dimensions, not even in many, but in what we will discuss tonight, the church as Jesus sees it in a particular dimension. And I'll stop there. And then she has people come up from all different denominations, including the Roman Catholic Church, saying that we're all a part of the, the, the body of Christ, which betrays a staggering lack of... Discernment and ignorance of the gospel, the true gospel. And basically what she's saying is what we need to do is set aside all of our doctrinal differences and all come together because what really matters is some subjective unity rather than objective truth. Well, we see an even more egregious example of this type of stuff in another popular woman, author, and Bible teacher. Her name is Sarah Young whose books are, and studies are still widely sold in Christian bookstores, including LifeWay, the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I saw that her radio devotional reaches more than a half a million people each day. And in her book, Jesus Calling, which is now sold over 15 million copies, she makes her own imagination the voice of Christ. She thinks that Christ Communicates directly to her that somehow he's in her brain and she writes down what he tells her and in her book She says this quote. I began to wonder if I could receive messages during my times of communing with God I had been writing in my prayer journals for years, but that was a one-way one-way communication I did all the talking I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day, end quote. Obviously, the scriptures aren't enough, so you need something else. By the way, there's no place in scripture where we are told to do that. But he does tell us to never consult with familiar spirits. Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 18... First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the truth, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy, or first John 4, 1 John 4.1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. She describes how she practices, quote, listening to God, which has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So I want to share some of the messages I have received. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. The messages that follow address that felt need. And as you read her material, she repeatedly describes how she receives direct revelation from God, and then she writes it down Writes down what he says to her. So basically she claims to be speaking for God, like the apostles who received revelation. It's very frightening. In an interview with the Christian Broadcasting Network, she clearly states that her journey into receiving messages from Jesus began with her reading of, quote, God Calling, another book. She said, my journey began with a book, God Calling, written in the 1930s by two women who practiced waiting in God's presence, writing the messages they received as they listened. Then we read in her introduction to the original 2004 copyrighted edition of Jesus Calling, she writes that she was inspired to receive these personal messages from Jesus after reading this book, God Calling, and she described God calling as, quote, a treasure to me and emphasized that her journey with 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 all of this began with what is really a a channeled New Age book. She says this, during that same year, which was 1992, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from him. She went on to say, this little paperback became a treasure to me. It dovetailed remarkably well with my longing to live in Jesus' presence. The following year, she says, I began to wonder if I, too, could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. See, folks, what she is saying here directly contradicts what Jesus prayed to the Father before he went to the cross in John 17, 17. He's prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word that transforms us, the word that God has given us. Likewise, this contradicts 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16, that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work this is so dangerous because it it smacks of the occult practices that are so profoundly unbiblical that of channeling and meditating in that type of way spiritual dictation By the way, the Encyclopedia of New Age Beliefs published by Christian publisher Harvest House describes God Calling, the book that inspired her, that she treasured, as a, quote, channeled New Age book that was spiritually dictated by a deceptive spirit pretending to be the real Jesus Christ. So, folks, it should be no surprise that soon after Sarah Young's endorsement of this New Age book, As soon as that was publicized in 2013, all references to God calling were completely removed from all of the subsequent printings of Jesus' calling. Now granted, there are many other, even more outlandish claims made by men and women who claim to be modern day prophets who speak for God through private visions and revelations and so forth. But my main concern is how this counterfeit is taking over evangelical churches, especially among women. And my mind immediately goes to Jude. And in Jude 3, we, Jude says that we are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, contend earnestly for it, a call. To know sound doctrine and confront error. He said in verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, in that passage, when he says under the inspiration of the Spirit that we are to contend earnestly... The original language is literally telling us that, that we need to, to defend or struggle with all of our might, a battle with the intensity of a wrestling match. In fact, grammatically, it speaks of a continuous exertion with all of our might. And for what cause? Why, what are we doing here? Well, it's for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, referring to the body of divine revelation, the truth of God the objective truth of the gospel that encompasses our common salvation. And he says that it's entrusted once for all. From the Greek word hapax, it's a a fascinating concept. It was entrusted to us once for all. It it refers to that which was, was done for all time with lasting results, never needing any kind of repetition. And he says it was once for all delivered it's an aorist passive participle. Very important in the original language. It means that it's an act that was completed in the past with no continuing elements. Moreover, because it's in the passive voice, the faith was not discovered by men, but it was given to men from God. And to whom was it delivered? He says, to the saints. Tois hagias. The ones from whom God set apart for himself in eternity past. So the Holy Spirit is literally saying in this passage, if I can expand upon the exegesis of it, he's saying that we need to continuously fight with all of our might to proclaim and protect the truth that God contained in the Holy Scriptures that was revealed to us once and for all time and eternity, never again needing to be repeated A body of truth that was not discovered by men, but given to men by God and delivered to the ones whom he has set apart for himself in eternity past. Beloved, this is serious. Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 16, Jeremiah warns about false prophets. They've been around for a long time. Men who... Claim to speak that God speaks to them and in turn they speak for God. He says this beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination. Not from the mouth of the Lord. He went on to say I did not send these prophets but they ran. I did not speak to them but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I have heard what the prophets have said he goes on to say who prophesy falsely in my name saying I had a dream I had a dream how long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, Falsehood, even these prophets, of the deception of their own heart who attend, intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another just as their fathers forget my name because of Baal. And that's exactly what happens when you listen to these people. You're not thinking about the God of glory and the Lord Jesus Christ You're not moved to breathless adoration for who he is. You're moved with this person, this amazing person that is seeing and hearing all these things that's telling us all of this. So you forget the name of the Lord and you begin to seek the name of that individual. He goes on to say, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dreams, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. All these counterfeit claims of private revelation and dreams and visions are nothing more than imaginations gone wild. And the reason God forbids it forbids it is because these things compete with the transforming truths that emerge from God's revelation friends we must never allow truth to take a back seat to experience think of Peter's experience talk about an experience and many experiences think about Peter the Mount of Transfiguration remember Peter James and John remember they they see (laughs) Well, you know what they saw, or we kind of know. I mean, God somehow pulls back his flesh, and emanating from him is the effulgence of his glory, and, and they, 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 they're just completely terrorized. And he had many other countless miraculous situations that he saw and witnessed personally when he was with Jesus. Yet he knew that Scripture, which he calls the prophetic word in 2 Peter 1, Scripture is, quote, more sure than all of that, more sure than even the most sublime, awe-inspiring experiences. He says this in Second Peter 1, beginning in verse 16. For We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Epilisios, uh, a, a Greek term, it It's it's interesting. It carries the idea of of no one should privately untie or unloose the truth. The, The truth must be authoritatively interpreted by the apostles and those who will use the word of God to interpret the word of God. You just don't make up stuff. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, folks, subjective human experience and impressions are notoriously untrustworthy. An untrustworthy measure of divine truth. They are all fallible. But the word of God is infallible. It is inerrant, it is authoritative, it is all-sufficient because its author is perfect in all of its ways, all of his ways. Peter goes on to say, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Then he says this, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Folks, this is why I have to warn you about this. You see, the destiny of the souls of men and women depend upon the truth, and we simply cannot compromise the truth. These kinds of prophetic counterfeits that I've described this morning Began all the way back in the garden, didn't they? So we've got to be discerning in this area. So anytime you hear someone tell you that they've received some private revelation, or God has given me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or whatever, you need to run. And anytime you are tempted to do the same thing, As I say, you get some quiver in your liver, and all of a sudden you think God's speaking, and you gotta tell everybody you need to stop. Charles Spurgeon made the same warning to the saints in London over a hundred years ago. Let me tell you what he said. Take care never to impute the vain imaginings of your fancy to him, the Holy Spirit. I have seen the Spirit of God shamefully dishonored by persons. I hope they were insane who have said that they have had this and that revealed to them. There has not for some years passed over my head a single week in which I have not been pestered with the revelations of hypocrites or maniacs. Semi-lunatics are very fond of coming with messages from the Lord to me, and it may spare them trouble if I tell them once for all that I will have none of their stupid messages. I wonder how he really felt, right? Right? He goes on to say, Never dream that events are revealed to you by heaven, or you may come to be like those idiots who dare impute their blatant follies to the Holy Ghost. If you feel your tongue itch to talk nonsenses, trace it to the devil, not to the Spirit of God. Whatever is to be revealed by the Spirit to any of us in the Word of God already, he, had, he adds nothing to the Bible and never will. Let persons who have revelations of this, that, and the other go to bed and wake up in their senses. I only wish they would follow the advice and no longer insult the Holy Ghost by laying their nonsense at his door. So, dear friends, I plead with you in the same way. Be very careful with this. The truth of the Word of God is the very lifeblood of the church. We cannot compromise it. But false prophecy... And the false doctrine that accompanies it will do to the church what the venom of a cobra will do to the body. It will destroy you. And we're watching this happen right before our eyes. So let's guard ourselves. Let's guard our families. Guard our husbands. Guard our wives. Guard our children. And contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray for those who perhaps are unwitting in their error. I pray that you will be gracious to them and bring conviction to their heart. And those, Lord, who are just pure frauds and fakes and con artists and they know it, I pray that you will pour out your judgment upon them and protect us from them. Lord, I pray that you will protect the church by protecting your word through those of us who are committed to remain faithful to it. So we thank you for the truths that we have examined this morning. We thank you for your love for us and for the transforming power of your word. And thank you, Father, that we don't need anything else. You've granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And when we look at your word, we find a limitless reservoir of divine truth that speaks to our souls in ways that we cannot even fully grasp. And we thank you that by the power of your spirit, you can illumine our hearts and minds that we might understand it and apply it that in all things Christ might have the preeminence. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.